0: This episode of the Lynx Golf Podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Tourism Ireland. Discover what fills your heart with Ireland and experience golf like never before. World-class courses, historic links, breathtaking scenery, and unmatched hospitality await. Visit ireland.com backslash golf and start planning your trip today. Pardon the interruption, I'm Al Lunsford, Digital Editor for Lynx Magazine, and today, my friends, we're going to do a version of the Lynx Golf Podcast where we kind of just completely rip off the popular ESPN show, Pardon the Interruption, which I alluded to already and we will continue to make reference through throughout this. I'm joined by, as always, Joe Passoff for this edition of the podcast, and we're going to go through nine this or that's to to debate on and to provide our hot takes we're actually going to give ourselves time limits just like they do on the espn show so um we'll have two minutes to talk about each this or that uh joe great idea to to come in and and do this give ourselves some a uh, a limit on the amount of rambling we're going to do on each topic normally we're we're talking for days and around in loops and and all that good stuff.
1: But I think this will be Al. Al, we're definitely not stealing from our friends Michael and Tony. We're paying homage. That's just what we're doing. Love the pace of that show and um and uh, let's let's cover some ground today. And uh, with you know uh, the shot clock is very popular now in baseball. Games are moving right along. Let's uh, let's try our hand at doing this on the Lynx podcast today, shall, shall we? We'll call it a uh,
0: faithful restoration of their show. Um, there you go. Appropriate acknowledgement, and homage, if you will. Uh, let's start with Joe. I have some news to share. I don't know if you saw uh, post on social media about it, but I'm going to give myself five good minutes to to talk about uh what happened to me recently so um joe
1: i'm a member al, al uh, before you get going our first category and you get five minutes is ace versus albatross okay put it in that context so now tell us what happened to you during the past week all right so i am a member of the club
0: i am uh have checked one item off of my life list as I've said, and uh, I had an ace, Joe. First hole-in-one ever. Studio
1: audience, how about some applause, please? <laughs> Congrats, oh, yeah. Al. Uh, I mean, you're you're a pretty good stick. How close had you come before this? Well, okay, so
0: I probably have hit it to, you know, a couple inches uh, on occasion, and uh, maybe raced one past the hole where I thought it looked maybe a lot closer than it was to actually going in. Um, never lipped out a hole in one or anything, but but this was the kind of shot that it it bounced once, it rolled for a second, and it dropped out of sight. So
1: um, I was in total more shock. details. Yeah, more details. Shock. When, where, how, what club, all of that.
0: Yeah, sure. So this was this past Thursday, May eleventh, a day that will live in infamy. Uh, it's ten days before my my wedding anniversary, which will make that much easier to remember. Uh, and it was at Tothill Farm Golf Club in Ashboro, North Carolina. I'd gone over to look at the course. They're about to do a restoration of the golf course. Mike Strand's 2000 design, uh, taking out a bunch of trees, redoing the greens, regrassing everything. Prism Zoysia is a, a grass they're using. They're one of the first golf courses to do it in the country. And uh, they are redoing their clubhouse as well. So a lot of, a lot of money, a lot of uh, new stuff at Tothill Farm. Uh, I was having a pretty good day. Felt good about my swing. Uh, we stepped to the 13th tee. That was about 135-yard shot. I will say it was slightly uphill, so I took a 9-iron, gave myself a little breathing room. Smooth swing, as I like to do it. Don't like to overpower a shot. I like to smooth a shot. So I'll usually go up rather than going down. That's an interesting this or that. We could come back to at some point. But, um, you know, I it, it wasn't the... The, the perfect flush swing that you dream about, uh, I, I kind of, as soon as I hit it, was asking for it to go, uh, if you can believe that. Didn't think it would actually make it there. Um, not struck perfectly. Uh, but as it was in the air, my playing partner uh, saw it online enough and and actually called it in the air, said, be, it, be a one, what he said. Robbie Wooten said that. So um, it did. I'm in the club uh shaked a lot of hands since then people congratulating me it's a weird kind of feeling it's like okay you got really lucky congratulations but uh it feels good to not have to to have the monkey off my back and not have to think about going my entire life without a hole in one
1: well good for you congratulations um there is nothing like an ace in all of life because it's perfection that is your goal every single time you step up to a par three is to hole out in one shot and there's very few things in life that happen that come off perfectly so whether you flush the shot or you didn't the result was perfection and you got to freeze that moment for as long as you can because life life isn't always perfect and pretty but for a brief instant, it can be, and you are now part of that exceptional club.
0: And I did it with a Lynx-logoed golf ball, too. How about that? So the oh,
1: goodness. <laughs> All right.
0: Joe, have you had a hole-in-one? Uh, if not, ace or albatross?
1: Yeah, no, I have had uh, three aces. And uh, the first one back when you were, uh, I don't want to mention how young you were, but it was 1986, but it was a blind uphill par three and a Memorial Day in 1986. And we looked around and, you know, did it go over the green? Did it? You know, and finally, somebody looked in the hole and I had hit it really well. Just couldn't see the result uh, with a slope and a fronting bunker. And man, that was it. You know, fairly, fairly early on in my golf career, and I, and I got one. And four years later, had another, um, again, under odd circumstances. I had played six holes at Canterbury Golf Club, a U.S. Open venue, top 100 site. And I was, uh, it was 45 degrees. It had rained all morning. Horrible day. And for the first six holes, I mean, I played like an ape. And that's apologies to low-handicap apes out there. I was just Horrible. And we were playing with an assistant pro that day, and he just asked if he could give me some advice on the 70. And I said, "Sure." You know, I was trying to keep my spirits up, and uh, just just tough conditions. And he said, "Slow your swing down a little bit, and just finish your backswing." Um, you know, that that's all. Just just try that. So okay, and we're downwind 170 yards, six iron, and I slowed it down, finished the swing. And um, he had already hit it to six feet. The third, our third hit it to eight feet. And my ball hit on the green and went sideways right into the cup for ace number two. Um, Even with that, Al, remarkably so, on a 45 degree windy day and rain, 54 on the front nine with an ace. (laughs) Yeah. And I was a 12 handicap uh, in those days, 47 on the back. Um, not a scorecard you frame necessarily given the final tally, and then uh, I had one more ace in 1996 uh at a old Pete Dye course in Cleveland, Ohio, called Fowler's Mill, and um, aced the third hole there with a seven wood, uh, 192 yards, and um, and it was on my way to my career low round, a even par 72. So a mixed bag, but three aces, and never. An albatross. I have never holed out in two on a par five. Well, here I was thinking I was
0: special, and Joe came in. He's, yeah, I've already got three. You got some catching up to do, so...
1: I'm much older than you. Remember that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Joe, I don't know if you heard the alarm go off, as you were explaining, as we were both gloating over our our great accomplishments. But uh, we had an alarm, so I need a final answer from you. Do you want another ace? Or do you want an albatross? I'll take the ace, please. I would have to agree. I, I think the albatross is cool. Uh, it it feels a little bit more rare sometimes to, to have a two on a par five where you're going to have to hit some most likely 200-plus yard shot. Um, feels like that may have a little bit more luck involved. It certainly takes a good strike, but uh, – that feeling I had of of total shock and awe around the hole-in-one and not being able to focus the rest of the round because of just how special that was. I'll take that again any day. All right, now let's go to the other this or that's on our list. Again, we're going to have two minutes for each of these for Joe and I to answer, so we're going to keep it moving. Bang out a quick episode for you guys. So, Joe, I'm going to start the clock. Would you rather be first out on the course or last out on the course for
1: a round? Al, I'm a last out guy and several reasons. Um, First out, sure, pace of play and all that, but I'm going to be nervous, number one. I'm going to oversleep. I'm going to miss my tee time. I'm going to be stressed about that. And in addition, am I playing fast enough for the people behind us? At least when I'm last out, okay, I hope to finish before it's dark, but savor the day. Take the time you need, not slow play it, but take the time you need and um and and smell smell the flowers along the way. I'm a last out guy. I'm gonna have to go the opposite, Joe. I, I've mentioned this
0: before. I've had a few first out rounds in my life. Uh and the most memorable of those being first out at Sheep Ranch at Bandon Dunes, the you know, not shortly after it opened, we got to go first out as the sun's rising. And you're seeing the course in front of you with no one there to wait on. So you're setting the pace. I feel like I play pretty quickly as it is. I can take my time when I need to, but, um, the, the feeling of looking ahead of you out on the course and seeing no one else, you kind of feel like you have the course to yourself. Um, of course someone could come up on you and push you, but, uh, I feel like that that didn't really happen that much when I played first out like that. Uh, and then you can get around in sub four. That's the goal, right? You want to you want to play in under four hours. Um, have some lunch, and have the whole rest of the day to decide to play again or do whatever you will with that. Um, so for me, I'm a first out guy. And kudos, Joe. We did that in under two minutes. So let's keep right. that going. All right, um, reset the clock here. Would you like me to keep proposing the questions or do you want yeah. to come in and answer? I,
1: I, I like the way we're doing this so far in this unusual yet borrowed format. Again, thank you, PDI. Wait, PTI, there we go. <laughs> Pardon, duh,
0: interruption. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joe, when it comes to distances, gauging your distance to the hole. You a range finder guy or you like to read the distance on the sprinkler head?
1: Well, you think, Al, I would have moved into the 21st century by now, as uh, many, many of us have. Um, But confidentially, I'm still a sprinkler head guy. Uh, I even though I like being last out, I don't take much time over the ball. I don't take any practice swings. Uh, It's just a waggle, get set. And I'm not quite good enough to care whether it's 137 to carry the bunker or 139, um, 155 to the pin or 157. So to me getting that sprinkler head, just a quick glance. Okay. Here's what's going on with the conditions. Here's what I need to do. Waggle hit. So, yep. Uh, sprinkler head is perfectly fine for me, provided they're marked and, um, shoot in my, uh, In my adult life, roaming around good golf courses, I even had two special experiences back in the 1990s. One was at San Francisco Golf Club, the other Royal St. George's in England. Neither of those golf courses had any markings, any yardage markings of any kind. And it had to be like Ben Hogan, you play by feel. And man, I wonder how far that drive really felt. Pull the trigger, hit your approach.
0: Joe, I grew up without a rangefinder in my hand, and I looked at the sprinkler head, and that was good enough for me. And with that being said, since I've gotten a rangefinder, since I've known dialed in what the yardage is, I can't go back. I've tried. I, I used to be a middle of the green guy, and that was good enough to get you around and play a good round of golf. But there's something about knowing the specific number and trying to Gauge exactly. Timer's going off, but trying to gauge, you know, how much room do I have in front of the flag? How much room do I have behind it? It's something I don't get the specifics on just from looking at the sprinkler head and the pin sheet. It's a lot of, you know, extra math. And I told myself I was done with math once I finished college. So give me the range <laughs> finder. Just tell me what the number is and let me move on. All uh, right. Joe, a lot of us dealt with this during the pandemic when we couldn't take the flag out of the cup while putting. Uh, that was a rule that was added in for for lots of, of clubs out there uh, for no extra touching. Before or after that, are you a pin-in or a pin-out guy?
1: Well, curiously, golf's governing authorities came in just before that, I think, and then gave us all the option of leaving the flag in just the way it used to be, I think back in the 1960s and earlier, you'd see some old footage of people putting with the flag in. Well, um, I'm a fan of leaving the flag in just simply for pace of play reasons. I will say, you know what? I'd rather have it out on putts under 10 feet because when the flag's in through the pandemic and just prior, I don't concentrate quite as much I, I just don't, there's not as much cup space. I think I'm doing this because of pace of play. So I'd rather have it out within 10 feet to focus better, but overall, um, leave the flag stick in guy. The only time I like the flag stick in is really off the green.
0: Uh, the, it Controlling the pace of my putt off the green is it's, it's somewhat of a crapshoot sometimes. You think you know how the ball is going to react on the fringe and the green surrounds, but you can't be quite too sure. So you might wrap one and need that backboard uh, of the flagstick should you be fortunate enough to hit it. But generally, if I can see the cup, I want the flag out. Uh, And I don't know if, if that's a traditionalist approach or not. That's always how I grew up playing too is, is the flag was out. It's, easier to see the hole it looks bigger to your point uh and to me the sound of the ball dropping in the cup is much preferable to the sound of the ball dinking against the flagstick
1: all right uh that's a sensation i hadn't considered but yeah that is one of the sweetest sounds in all of golf is the ball hitting the bottom of the cup and rolling around like they do on the commercials exactly There's a reason why they use that sound. And the reason why we use the sound at the
0: beginning of our podcast every show. Fair enough. Joe, if given the option at a course, you're, you're going to play a bucket list round, you're playing Pebble Beach, you're playing somewhere that has the option of a caddy, do you want to take a caddy or do you prefer to go out there
1: and tackle the course on your own? Caddy, caddy, caddy caddy, 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 caddy. Every day of the week, I would take a caddy. Um, Yeah, and the days where expense accounts took care of caddy fees, boy, it was easy to do. But now, you know, those of us who grew up as caddies and around caddies and everything else, that immersed us in the game of golf. And yep, from time to time, you're always going to get a a poor caddy or one that simply just talks too much or gives bad advice or something. But for the most part, I love the caddy breed. I like having the help, especially when it comes to reading putts. Ah, bunkers, I can rake myself, you know, i um, going to look for a golf ball. Okay. It's nice to have the help. Good to have the support. But reading putts, it's just great to have somebody with a good eye. You step up there with so much more confidence, hit him where he told you to, or she told you to, and uh, man, good feeling when it pays off is to do the high five with your caddy. So yes, caddy every time if possible. I've had bad
0: caddies, but I still didn't regret taking a caddy. I'm firmly in the, if you have that option, especially if you're playing around at a course that you're trying to check off your your list, uh, and it's one you, you're probably not going to play more than a couple of times in your life, take the caddy. I mean, I can't stress enough how much of a help it is the the ease at which they make reading those putts as you said um the storytelling I mean like all the things that caddies bring to the experience of a round of golf I think is I think it adds to the experience of a bucket list round like that
1: tenfold yeah Al I get that people can be intimidated if they've never taken a caddy before or have limited experience you know somebody's judging you it's it's out of the ordinary you feel out of your comfort zone but do it a few times and you know if uh, if the extra costs are within your budget it's so worth it it's a little something for the caddy and in addition enhance your round in so many respects absolutely
0: this episode of the Lynx Golf Podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Tourism Ireland. Discover what fills your heart with Ireland and experience golf like never before. World-class courses, historic links, breathtaking scenery, and unmatched hospitality await. Visit ireland.com golf and start planning your trip today. Okay, here's one uh, comparing what I think are the two preeminent sporting events. Uh, in all of sports and that's in another debate for uh, another time but one golf one american football so we're going super bowl versus masters joe if you could only go to one which are you going to
1: i gotta confess i've never been to a super bowl and i have attended at least part or all of 18 different masters so sure Would I actually love to go to a Super Bowl and say I've been to one? Yeah, absolutely. But if you're putting it to me in this form, I'm going to say the Masters. Um, The Super Bowl experience, if it were your team in the game and you followed them that closely, whether for two years or 25 years, what a thrill. What an amazing experience. There's no vibe quite like having a Super Bowl in your city Uh, as out here in Phoenix has happened a number of times. But everything about the Masters, I'm never jaded about that experience. And it's perfection how it's put on. The aesthetics are incredible. The traditions actually go well beyond any sort of Super Bowl. Um, Where Super Bowl is the height of commercialism, the Masters are anti-commercialism. Give me the Masters.
0: Yeah, that is a good way to think about it. And I'm um, lucky enough for me, I've been fortunate enough to go to two Super Bowls, um, work two Super Bowls, actually, uh, when I worked in football before I got into this uh, sport called golf. And it is an experience. You would have asked me when I was growing up, uh, you know, probably from zero to 10 years old, I would have said Super Bowl. Now that I understand what the Masters is and what it represents – it's clear to me that going to the Masters is something you should never take for granted. Um, no matter how many times you've been, I've been now twice, and um, it's it's an out of body experience. Uh, it is it feels like home and feels like Disney World at the same time. Uh, it's the ultimate ultimate event in sports, I think. Um, I don't know if you would put like the Olympic games up there. Maybe that's a, a comparable, um, you know, a rarity in your life just to, to say you've been able to attend the Olympics. Uh, but the masters is because of its exclusivity is, is one of those all time want to attend once in your life. And then want to come back
1: the next chance you can get as fast as you can get it for me. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I've been to World Series and All-Star Games and, you know, some other fun sporting events. Uh, Of course, the rest of the world has the World Cup for soccer slash football, um, which is every bit their Super Bowl. But um, the Masters for me is just the pinnacle. And uh, we'll uh, again hope for uh, an invitation of some kind (laughs) to watch or cover it. Oh. yeah world
0: cups another good one i i think for me the probably the national championship in basketball with your team playing in it is the the next comparable thing that's like i'll do anything it takes like if you someone calls you you live across the country and says hey i've got a masters ticket you want to go to the masters i think it's you kind of make it work no matter what um drop all meetings drop all anything else you're doing and get to the masters. I, I would say the same thing. If I, if UNC was going to the national championship for basketball and I had a chance to go, I'm going. It's that kind of, got that kind of event.
1: Well, I suppose I should say the same about uh, my Arizona Wildcats. And uh, yeah, there's nothing like the NCAA final four. Uh, even a tournament game is exciting, but final four and the championship games, pretty darn close. Sometimes we have to stretch these answers
0: long as we continue to think about them. The the masters of rambling, when they get talking about the masters tournament, it can go off the rails sometimes. (laughs) Joe, two-parter, if you can answer that quickly. Match play or stroke play to watch
1: and to play? Oh, man. This one is tough. I'm not... Positive I can be as concise as I should be in our two-minute rule, but um I still love stroke play for major championships and match play for Ryder Cup or Walker Cup and that sort of thing. Um it, when when things get going crooked in match play while it's on television and it's a six and five result, um, it's tough sledding as a viewer. Uh so overall I'm still gonna go stroke play, but as far as playing it, I'll take match play every time. Um, I've kept score enough over the years having to play 1,350 golf, different golf courses and record something, take my notes. But when I'm playing a round of golf with someone against someone where there's a little something riding on it, gotta be match play.
0: Yeah, inevitably it, it turns into a game whenever you're playing uh, with a good group of friends and a foursome. And so I think a lot of people would probably agree that match play uh, is the more fun format to play. Um, You're right. There's something really intriguing about especially major championship golf coming down the stretch and stroke play, not having it decided, you know, 13, 14, 15 holes in with three holes still left on the board. Um, You get a good tournament. Uh, PGA championships coming up you get one of those where uh, it's a tough final stretch of holes and anything could happen then that makes stroke play I think in my opinion better uh, to watch than uh, you know the Ryder Cup's fun President's Cup's fun Uh, there's certainly exciting elements to those match play events but stroke play for me is
1: a better watch. Yeah, i mean if somebody you know in match play the strategizing that goes on so you know your opponent hooks one into the woods we're not sure where it is and so okay do you put your driver back in your bag and say i'm going to hit a four iron because i think bogey even could win this hole or a, you know some kind of par and then he finds his ball and sevies it out right under the green and okay that was a bad decision but you know, the fact that you're thinking about it and what's the best way for me to get a four um, or to think all I need to do is beat this guy by one shot on the hole. So, so much, so much going on in match play. But, um, yep, I'm uh, for the Masters in the US Open and the like. You know, I'm happy it's coming down where you got to hole out a putt on the 72nd hole to walk away with that trophy.
0: Yeah, a lot of tension in both, a lot of excitement in both. Obviously, very few match play events on the schedule. So that makes them, very exciting, uh, and that, that's not to say I don't like match play. Of course, I like watching the Ryder Cup, um, but hey, you got to give a got to give an opinion here, right? right? You got to pick a side. So, I'm going stroke play. All right, we've got a couple more here to reach our our nine. This or that's. Here's an equipment one for you, Joe. Uh, driver head. Do you like the old school driver head, Uh, you know, just play with what you got on the end of that shaft? Or do you like the new driver where you can kind of tinker with it? If you're hitting a a big slice, maybe you can tone it a couple of notches to where that corrects itself in the new driver. Adjustable or old
1: school? Yeah, call me old school. (laughs) Uh, It's amazing that You know, the technology and the rules both have come together and let you make the adjustments on your driver head. Um, However, to me, again, it kind of takes away from an old special skill, which is adjustment. Um, Actually adjusting, coping with it mentally, and then making the physical adjustment if you're hooking or slicing or something else, not getting the height you wanted. Um, To know how to do that and self-correct mid-round was really important especially when the equipment wasn't as forgiving. So are you thinking, turn my grip over by a quarter of a knuckle or open up my stance by a tiny bit, close it, move the ball a little further up towards my front foot? I mean, this is golf. But now the, uh, the new folks out there and the new generation, you know, I mean, I'm not really sure. I always know the difference between a crescent wrench and an Allen wrench. So leave those in the toolbox and make the adjustments physically. That's my call. Um, although I can't, I can't slam the folks that do uh, uh, take their little lock and key, and all of a sudden they have a new golf game. Joe,
0: you almost got the buzzer beater there. You had a few seconds left on the timer to get the full two minutes. Uh, So a very impassioned play as the timer goes off for the old school way of doing things. I'll quickly sum up my position, you know, call me like a, like a middle school, I guess. Uh, But maybe leaning towards more of a new school. Um, You know, I like options, Joe. I've, I've done it before. I'm not saying I'll do it really mid round all that much, but I have done it before where I've had my driver you can kind of adjust the weight in the back of it um if i just can't seem to find a solution for getting rid of a a mishit and i've done a little bit of you know correcting with the equipment sure the thing i like most about the new drivers where you can adjust or more so for me take off the head entirely is when i travel for golf I'm taking off my club heads because I've heard too many stories about driver heads and and heads off three woods snapping in the travel bag mysteriously within the course of the travel. So the adjustable driver, the ones you can take off the shaft and put back on entirely, uh, eliminate that risk a little bit for me. So it's a peace of mind thing for me there. Uh, now getting the driver back on in the exact position I had before, that's always a challenge. I don't always remember exactly how I had it, so I have put it on incorrectly before. A lot of times I'll put it on in the grips backwards. I'll have to take it back off, uh, but I like that feature, uh, if you will. But you know, most of the time, Joe, I keep the driver the same way from the first tee to the 18th tee and make my own personal uh, alignment or grip adjustments to try to fix things. Um, so I, it's not a crutch for me during a round, but hand on the Bible, you know, on the witness stand, have I adjusted my driver to make uh, my my club fit my swing and my miss? Yes,
1: I have. How I envy your youth, Al, and, of course, your buoyant spirits, given the fact that you just made an ace a few days ago. <laughs> all right, no what's up for us there. Today? That, was, that was all <laughs> natural.
0: No adjustments on the that ace. It was <laughs>
1: All right last what's topic? Left for us yep
0: uh it's one we all know and love uh and probably one that's subjective a little bit too but walk or ride Joe you have the option what's your choice
1: yeah the easy answer and the honest answer is walk um I, I just love walking period with or without golf clubs um and so Walking a golf course is uh, especially a wonderful walk, be it Sunningdale, Cypress Point, um, and, and all kinds of golf courses, that is just the best way to see it unfold is on foot. However, I do have some issues with the walking snobs that look at golf in carts as something foreign, something called cart ball. And I don't think that's quite fair. You know, um, there are folks in my sphere that are of an age where or a physical situation that just doesn't let them walk anymore. So, you know, what? what is the sin in riding in a golf cart and enjoying the scenery and the competition and everything else when the legs or something else will not allow um, to enjoy a walk? Um, Secondly, there are a lot of modern courses built for real estate where you know, it's a long, long way to go from previous green to the next tee, and it's just best handled in a cart, frankly, um, other than walking down a cart path as opposed to grass. So, hey, I'm a walker, and make no mistake about it, but I have to acknowledge there are times where it's okay and even appropriate to ride.
0: Sure. Give me the choice of walking or riding. Uh, it's a walk for me every time. Uh, and... You know, I love hoofing the the bag on the shoulders. It's probably something that was easier on, there's your timer, easier on the body uh, in my younger days. I'm, I I still feel like I'm a young 32, but carrying a bag for 18 holes, um, you'll feel it the next day for sure. I love the push cart, uh, so giving the, op- the option of a push cart to walk uh, is a great one. Or, or walk nine holes with a bag on your shoulders. Um, you know, riding is the more practical thing to do on a, a trip with your buddies, probably. Uh, you may not have a lot of people in the group that are um, you know, sub-10 handicaps, per se. It, I think you'd have to be really, really golf uh, crazy to have a group of guys that are all less than 10 handicaps and golfing their ball that well. So walking may make things a little bit tougher, a little bit make for a longer round for all involved. Uh, And I enjoy certain things about the cart. Um, But hey, I'm, I'm a, my dad used to always tell me every time I went out to play, enjoy the walk. And that's what I like to do. I feel like you really feel the course. You see the course instead of, whizzing by it in your golf court I feel like you kind of miss some things and don't feel really the the whole ambiance of the place you're playing so uh if I have the choice Joe I'm walking and and that's
1: my final answer on that well stated Al well that was fun and uh again not stealing paying homage to our friends uh who are both golfers Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser um it is, uh, I have new respect for what they do uh, day in and day out, and being able to uh, talk with some expertise and intelligence on a variety of topics, uh, and also bring some humor to it. So um, I'm not saying we'll ever do this again, Al, but uh, who knows? Maybe maybe there will be an encore performance uh, of this style with the Lynx podcast sometime. I
0: think if I were a betting man, I would say we would do this again, and Hope you enjoyed our, our fresh hot takes. Uh, maybe Joe, what we should do is open up the mailbag, get some people to mail in some this or that so that we can answer on a future edition of the podcast and further rip off our friends, uh, Mike and Tony even
1: more ring the bell for that. Um, for sure. And, uh, if anybody wants to weigh in on the topics we just covered today, it would be fun to hear some feedback. Absolutely. Well, until next time, Joe, um, do it again why not all right alan again sail on that cloud for as long as you can congrats on the hole in one thank you sir thank you so